everyone. Welcome along to da, da, da. that's a new one for this uh, for the podcast. So the the next edition of the Precursor Podcast. Um, I'm delighted today to be joined by Alex Farmer, who is the VP of Customer Success at Cognite. I'll be introducing Alex in a moment. I think just to frame this week's episode, um, been getting some great feedback from those in in the community about these conversations. I think one of the things that's shining through is people's passion for learning and sharing of best practices and insights. Um, I think one of the great things about, um, you know, the, the, this community is that the ability for people to kind of share what they're working on, ways of working, it doesn't matter whether it's a frontline practitioner, a customer success manager, a project manager, a CEO, uh, or a head of customer success. I think everyone is really focused on enabling their colleagues or their peers to be successful, which is great, particularly given um, the ongoing challenges that we all face in society. So I'm really excited today to be joined by Alex, who has got a wonderful career, a checkered history, Alex. So thank you for joining us. Happy to be here, Jonathan. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. So glad we can make this happen. Absolutely. Excellent. So, so give us a little bit of background to yourself and your your role where you are now, and then perhaps some of the things that you've been involved with prior, if you don't mind. Yes, the, the aforementioned checkered history. We'll get to that too. Exactly. Um, so, indeed. So, uh, currently I'm Vice President of, of Customer Success at Cognite, as you mentioned, um, which is based in Oslo, Norway. That's where I am uh, today. Um, and Cognite is a global industrial AI software as a service company. Um, and what essentially what we do is we contextualize disparate data um, and, and enable the digital transformation of heavy asset industries. So, you know, oil and gas, power and utility, manufacturing companies, um, essentially allowing them to ensure, ensuring that their data can do more um, uh, across their business. Um, and I've been here for a grand total of uh, six weeks so, so uh, just uh, just getting started, but uh, very exciting so far. Um, and uh, my background, as you say, I, I uh, started actually as an implementation consultant um, at an HR software company, and, and kind of that's how I got into to tech. Um, from uh, originally from the U.S., but uh, moved out to the U.K. with that company pretty pretty early on in my career, and have been in the U.K. Uh, ever since. I'm still actually based there, but. Uh, uh, implemented some systems and then joined a company called Fairsale, um, who are uh, another, uh, who are another so, uh, Salesforce based application, yeah. um, which I'm sure you're very familiar with uh, over at Precursive. Uh, but I spent four and a half years there, um, essentially was our first CSM and then grew, I called it the startup within a startup. We needed to scale our customer success team faster than this, the, the company was scaling, right? Um, to ensure that we can uh, help our customers achieve their desired outcomes. So I was there for four and a half years through to exit to Sage. Fairsale became Sage People after acquisition in March of 2017. And then uh, after that, uh, joined a company called IncoPro, another Series A scale up uh, in the legal tech space. We do online, uh, they did online brand protection um, and there uh, ran this customer success team, onboarding, support, training, partnerships, and, and also uh, uh, ran our European sales um, division um, for a short time as well. So. Yes, lots of breadth um, and uh, lots of varied experiences, but uh, uh, yeah, it's been a, a great journey so far. Yeah, very cool. For those for those paying attention, I think what's what's really interesting about that background is 
is that you know you've been on the front line when it comes to implementing software you've seen a startup which fairsale was grow through to an exit uh with sage which was actually one of the uk's most successful tech stories right um uh and and you know that's how you and i kind of got to know one another via adam hale the, the former ceo there um but i also think what's really interesting is kind of that experience of seeing not just like software businesses but tech platforms like an inco pro where they had a, a managed service wrapper right so you, you've seen that customer success and professional services working alongside one another and dovetailing which i know is something that you're you're also experiencing now in the in the world of cogno so yeah that's uh, an interesting background and I think we can probably draw upon a number of the things there as we go through. So, um, you know, you are in Oslo um, and, 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 and we were just talking prior to starting the show about, you know, a lot of the hiring that you're doing in your business um, in this, you know, remote reality that we're now working in. I'm not calling it the new remote reality now. I'm just calling it the remote reality. Every, we've all been working in this situation for about six months now. So um, what do you think, some of the key challenges that are that are still there for teams that you're working with to to adjust to or grapple with would you say in this environment it's a good question and, and yeah you're spot on you know it's a, it's a distant memory <laughs> yeah. someone said to me that uh, the tiger king area um era of lockdown feels like two years ago but yeah actually, right yeah. four to six months ago right so yes yeah. it's, it is the new normal now yeah but um you know i think there's two answers there right there's the adjustment of, of internal teams and then also the adjustment of, of customers right and customer success we're engaging with our customer stakeholders all the time from a customer perspective i find you know the one of the the real challenges is the shift to trying to you know you can't sit across the table from these people anymore you know you're trying to whether it's a, a discovery session to start a project, whether it's you know an executive business review or something similar, it, different tactics are required, and I think the the bar has been raised. You know, if I'm the classic kind of customer success uh, discourse around executive business reviews, is it is it done for the vendor or done for the customer? Right? Did I just cart in my PowerPoint template that tells you some facts and figures that you not necessarily care about? Yep. And, you know, if I'm in a room with you, at least there's pressure on you to look at what I'm presenting, right? But if in the remote reality, um, I'm running through an executive business review that doesn't actually provide you value, you have me on in the background and you're doing something else, you know? So, so I think in some ways it's, it's allowed CS uh, folks to kind of unthink the playbook a little bit and unthink customer success and, and really raise the bar to make sure that, that what we're doing, the activity that we're doing to enable our customer's success is actually landing with them instead of just ticking a box in, you know, a, a customer success playbook, right? Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's, you know, again, I'm not necessarily looking for silver linings here, but I think as we've adjusted, it's allowed us to question some things that we've always just been doing um, when it comes to providing value for customers and not just going through the motions. Yeah, I was um, I was on a call with a um, I was asked to join a call with a prospective client, and um, uh, and the per the other, the person on the other side was said, um, "So, are you, are you would would you like to share your screen and do a deck?" And I was like, "No, no, I'm just going to talk. We're just going to have a conversation." And he <laughs> he was shocked because he'd obviously been overloaded with people doing I don't know PowerPoint presentations or whatever uh, to him. So mm. it was good. I was like, you know, we could switch on our cameras and actually try and have a conversation. Um, yeah. So no, I, I know I know what you're you're talking about. Though I think within that though, um, 
what what type of kind of new skills then do you think the customer success teams are having to learn because i do think that there's a lot more like you know there is a new set of skills or capabilities that you need in a virtual environment than when you walk in the room are there certain things that you think people are being uh, you know asked of or required to to do better in this in this world yeah i mean you know i think the the dynamism required to you know obviously there's a lot of skills when you look you look at when you're looking to hire a CSM and mm. I still think the, the Holy Trinity, so to speak of commercial acumen, domain expertise and technical aptitude are, are still kind of, the, that's still what I would describe a, a good CSM uh, skill set for a good CSM. But, but I think the, the interpersonal side of that, you know, the ability to connect in with your customer um, and different types of stakeholders that you have, right? You know, it's easy. Again, if I'm in a room, I can read the room a little bit, but that intuition around whether what you're saying is landing or whether what your customer, what, what you're, what you're presenting to your customer is, is useful. That intuition about kind of reading the virtual room uh, is, is more challenging, you know? So I think more focus on kind of interpersonal um, skills and, and kind of engaging differently with different types of people as well, I think is something that we're probably seeing a bit more of. And, and on, the, on the flip side, I think maybe CSMs, especially for more um, customizable or complex software products, rely in some, uh, some degrees too much on their technical aptitude, right? So, you know, I'm trying to speak to you about value, uh, but we have a technical problem with the software preventing that value. So yes, I may go in and fix that for you or try and teach you how to, to solve that problem yourself, which is, as we know, uh, a different role than customer success. But I think still you see CSMs rely on that technical understanding because that's easier and maybe where they come from. You know, I think a lot of CSMs, for example, come from professional services backgrounds. And, and, and yes, that's your safe, familiar place. But actually, um, I think we can rely on that less now in, and, and that's, you know, that's right. We shouldn't be relying on that. But I think there's still in the, the, inner, the in-person world a tendency to over-rely on some of that skill set and, and, and not focus enough on the more challenging but value-additive uh, skills of, of value realization for those customers. Mm. There, there's, uh, what do you think about there's, there's almost sometimes a level of impatience sometimes on the part of um, I think organizations and, and people in general, particularly in software, right? It's like you'll often have that conversation like prior to having a call with a client where someone will say, oh, well, we need to fix this or there's this thing that's not working or whatever. And, and we, need to, we need to address that. And it's like, well, hold on. That ability to just slow down a little bit and go, let's go back a couple of steps and be like, like right now for this company in this industry, like what's important to them? Has their strategy changed? Um, why are they asking about this thing? Like, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a number of things. So that this idea of like developing that almost like that patience when it's so immediate, like you're jumping into these calls, you're going from call to call to call. Have you, is that something that you're aware of? Is that something you've tried to coach with your, with your teams now and in the past? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're spot on, and I, you use the the word that I encourage teams to to use all the time, which is why, mm. you know. And and product teams tell me off all the time for solutionizing, right? Oh, this customer needs this button here, right? And that's what they're asking me, and I'm giving that product feedback to our product team, and I'll say, yeah, okay, but why do they need that button, 
right? What's the user requirement? Is it, you're telling me it's a button, but maybe there's a better way in the product to do something. So this desire for your customer stakeholders to solutionize um, is natural, but, but at, at CSM's kind of pushing back a little bit or, or kind of zooming out to a higher altitude and saying, okay, but contextualize that request for me, right? Yes, I appreciate you have a challenge, you know, in doing X with our product, but what are ultimately you trying to achieve as a company? And then actually maybe Y or Z, I'm sorry to our UK listeners, Z, uh, is, is more, uh, um, more relevant and appropriate and allows the CSM to be, you know, play that trusted advisor role more. It, you know, when I, when I coach the team, I, I, I can't give credit to the person who told me this because I can't remember who it was, but there's a mm-hmm. TED Talk that's about 13 minutes and, and this guy introduces this concept of the yes sword and the no shield and how CSMs really should be using those in more equal measure because to establish credibility with our customers, we you know, want to use our yes sword in our right hand and you know, cut through every challenge and solve every problem. But sometimes the no shield is, is, is much more uh, important. You know, you're saying, hey, solve, me, solve this problem for me. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but let's have a conversation about why. I'm going to push back on your individual request because uh, I don't want to jump in and dive into the weeds and solve your problem. I want to, you know, be that trusted advisor and have that relationship and conversation about what your business is trying to achieve, what gets you your next promotion, what uh, you're reporting to your executive team or board, uh, mm-hmm. you know, every week, every month, you know, and, yep. and that it's, uh, it's hard, right? But it, it provides so much value in the long run um, and a much greater depth of relationship, especially in this new, uh, not new, this uh, <laughs> normal uh, remote reality, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot, lots of good insights in there. Um, my favorite word there is, is altitude. Um, I think that's a tremendously powerful word and a great way for anyone to coach and help their teams or even themselves to learn. It's like the altitude that you set a conversation at which basically means what you say in the first two minutes of the meeting, right, with a client sets the tone, right? It sets the tone in terms of like um, their perception of you if they don't know you. And if they do know you, then it's, it's, it's setting the altitude at the level of we're going to start here and then work down. This is very, very difficult to work up. But if you start with, oh, I want this button over here, as you say, right, then and you're not starting out, well, actually – you know, our business model has had to change because over the last six months we've taken a hammering, right? Or as I'm hearing a lot, like we're just having to manage demand in a very different way because some industries are absolutely dead and some industries we're seeing huge amounts of demand, right? It's like if you start at the right altitude, you're just going to have way more productive conversations and actually probably faster conversations than you would do because you don't waste 40 minutes of an hour meeting, you know, going down the rabbit hole. Is that fair? Spot on. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm thinking about that then. So, I I mean, (laughs) there's a lot. I mean, we we talked about this actually very recently, which is this um, uh, when we were chatting more in a a business context around like retention is the new growth, right? So, um, uh, or customer success is the new sexy or customer success is the new sales. I think I've said all of those on this podcast. But what... Why is CS going to continue to rise in importance in your view in the current climate? 
It's a good question. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons there. I mean, you know, obviously you have the macroeconomic climate where organizations are going to expect more from their current investments and look harder at their investments as well. Right. So, you know, connecting back to our previous conversation of altitude, right? If I'm a CSM for one product, you know, think about your executive sponsor, right? They probably have at the low end three and at the top end 10, even more vendors that they engage with, right? So if, if you're the one who's flying at 100, 100 feet instead of 40,000 feet, right? And other CSMs are taking that 40,000 foot view, that executive sponsor is going to remember those folks that they can rely on to ask more business orientated questions, not about the software, but about solving their business problems. So you kind of set yourself up uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a challenging way. And when they look hard at, you know, where they're spending their money, right, they will stay with vendors who provide them not only technology, but the end result or the value outtake of that technology as well, right? So, you know, I, I think, I, I guess what I'm really saying is the bar will continue to raise as customer success as a function matures, because people are going to get better at it. You know, it's still pretty new. Um, so, so I think there's that. Um, you know, and I think also you're going to see uh, more software products uh, competing for the same uh, problem that's being solved, right? So you see, you know, you look at software going into a new area of the market, right? It, you're, I, what I see in the, the kind of B2B tech space is the single, it's, it's funny, it's almost like a pendulum, right? Maybe we take HR tech as an example, but I think I've seen it across other industries as well, legal tech and, and, and um, you know, this AI space that I'm in now. But you have uh, the single suite versus best of breed and the shift between what organizations want, right? In HR tech, you had, uh, when, I, when, we, when I was at Fairsale, we were lucky that the mid-market uh, was really looking for something that was single suite. Right, I go into one place for manage my HR data, do my performance reviews, log my absences. Right. Yep. But now I think the pendulum is now shifting back to best of breed because we have better identity management, better integrations. So I don't need to select a single suite that's easy to use. I can select the point solution for each of my challenges. Right. So I think customer success becomes even more important as we start to kind of like proliferate the technology that's out there to solve common problems. Um, we, we will have not one HR system, but maybe four or five vendors. And then my, you know, as an HR system, if you're a single suite, it's hard to say, to say goodbye, right? Because we are so ingrained in your business. But if you have a performance management system that's separate than an absence management system, that's separate than a payroll provider, it's easy to say, okay, we're just going to lift and shift performance management now, right? So I think the, the ability for exit in, as we move away from the single suite to best of breed, um, that bar, I guess, is that, that barrier for exiting is also lowering. So I think the expectations on customer success teams will also um, uh, increase. Yeah, so, I, and, and this is where um, I, I think, you know, when you're, if you don't know where you are in the pecking order, right, in that world, right, are you are you perceived as best of breed either by your existing customers or by the marketplace or can you can you prove if maybe you're a challenger brand that you are then um and it's going to be you know it's going to be your, your commercial team it's going to be your customer success team that's going to in in many ways help to prove that right because i think the other dynamic to it is that people don't just buy software for buying software 
yeah. right? They're buying software to to change the way they do business, deliver different outcomes, increase efficiency, whatever it is, the thing that you do. And inevitably over time, the way that your business as a buyer evolves means that the people that you work with need to be able to evolve their software or the way that they support you, right? Um, So I actually also think that it'll be like not just best of breed software, but best of breed customer success. Absolutely. Um, because, because they're, they're like, again, if you've got great tech and great APIs and you've got a poor customer success experience, then, you know, arguably they can just, you know, they'll move away because of that, uh, you know, as much as they will do because of software. Um, so when you think about, so there's a lot of focus around, uh, you know, the customer journey, right. Uh, in, in amongst, you know, companies, your peers, uh, we, we've just been asked for some information on, on sort of how we do things precursive by someone. So that very, uh, you know, all, all, always being talked about. When you think about that journey, just at a high level, kind of how do you break it down into different parts from kind of like, imagine from sales through to growth, like take us through what are some of the critical stages in the customer journey from your perspective and what are some of the inflection points there? Yeah, no, we're we're going through a pretty going through this exercise now. Actually, I've been through it in previous organizations, and mm-hmm. and I think there's kind of there's vertical inflection points or key moments, and then there's also kind of horizontal tiers to a journey as well. Um, you know, the, I call the macro and micro phases. So the macro phases are pretty, you know, there's different names for these things, but they're pretty standard, right? On the, the sales side, you know, it's awareness, selection, I probably, I think I'm forgetting the second one in the the traditional model, but obviously I care a bit more on the post-sale side. Um, Onboarding, of course, is critical. And and I I, I challenge the notion that selection and onboarding don't um, overlap, right? In in overall, in in normal customer journey maps, you have these six distinct stages or six distinct macro phases. And that's obviously an oversimplification as I think we both uh, know. Um, after onboarding, I like to call it value realization because it kind of um, says it does what it says on the tin, but but rather you know talks about the need for that customer to realize the value now that they're up to speed. Um, and then you know the the final stage I'll call growth and advocacy. Uh, but I think you know the, the key inflection points for me are uh, firstly the sales to success handover being so important, um, and kind of how the the customer feels there. And, and and to answer that question, I think one of the things that's not really considered enough to get a good answer to your question is the emotional state of the customer, right? You know, the, the customer emotional state when you have just signed you know, potentially you know fifty percent of your budget away to a vendor who you you know you trust and you take it, but 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 it's all theoretical now, right? That emotional state, the the current and desired emotional state, has been a really uh, helpful way for us to to think about customer journey mapping. So, you know, in the onboarding or the sales to success handover phase, you have a real emotional state of apprehension. You know, the buyer's still engaged, but the buyer's worried, as you would be. You 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 have a boss, and you need to go justify your investment in this technology provider that you've chosen, and and convert the theoretical to the actual. Right. And, and, and the desired emotional state that we always aim for in the onboarding journey is reassurance. And, and that really has helped us underpin the micro phases, which sit underneath the, the, the macro phase of, of, of selection and onboarding. 
the um, the how, which uh, is, is something that's really important, not just what we do in each phase, but how the customer experiences what's being done. And, and then the, 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 the other thing that we focus on um, framed by the current and desired emotional state is, is the opportunity to infuse moments of delight in the customer journey, right? So unexpected moments that, that help reassure the customer that not only are we doing what we've committed, but we're also kind of taking these extra steps to, to reassure them through, you know, go live, um, the process around go live to celebrate with them or, you know, uh, other types of outreach uh, to, to, to ensure that they feel comfortable with, with the process. Yeah, that emotional piece is, is something that, that I've, I started thinking about recently more and more and was actually talking with a lady, Bethany Ayers. Hi, Bethany, if you're listening, who is the CCO for Peak AI, um, another AI uh, business who's one of the people that we had on this show. And I think there's, there's a few things around that, which is like, as you say, at the point at which they bought something, a customer is excited, apprehensive. Um, they, they, they basically want your products and service then, right? I mean, if they've been in a three or a six month sales cycle, which in some cases can be very, very time intensive. Like I think the bit that's underappreciated is like, they essentially would like to like, could we start with it tomorrow? Right? Like that's basically what they want. And, and therefore you're in this really tricky position if it's another, depending on what you implement, it's another two months, three months, or even six months, right? So, so many companies that we're talking with now trying to figure out ways to reduce that. I know Gainsight brought out a, a, you know, a nice blog on this recently about how they were focused on time to value. Um, so yeah, I think there's that real risk of buyer's remorse, right? Buyer's remorse. And then that, you know, their, their credibility being on the line of like, if you yeah. go into that first meeting and it's like, so why did you buy from us again? Like, you know, that cardinal sin. Um, so no, I think that overlap, that transition between sales pre-sales and, and onboarding is is a fusion that, that that is that needs to be so integrated um we you know we obviously spend a lot of our time um in in that first area around customer onboarding and, and believe very deeply that you know the best companies are, are helping their clients to realize value quickly um talk to me about like how you think about this onboarding stage of the customer journey and, and why it's so important and then what do you think some of the, perhaps the design flaws are for many businesses out there in this area? Cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So onboarding, you know, to me, there's, there's certain, you asked me about inflection points or key moments in, in your last question. And, and onboarding is, is, is one of the keys where in the criteria for making it a key moment is if you mess it up, can you apologize and get back on track? Right. And the answer for onboarding, I think most uh, at the highest level across the customer journey is no, right? That's all, you know, there's no opportunity to, to make a mistake and, and turn around to the customer and apologize uh, and, and expect the same level of relationship for months to come, right? So, so I think that's, that's uh, why it deserves so much attention. Um, you know, in terms of flaws or challenges in, in executing a, a good onboarding process, I think there's a couple of things that maybe organizations don't think enough about. We talked about the emotional state already, but I also find, you know, organizations plan their onboarding process inside out instead of thinking about it outside in, 
right? So you can get really kind of insular and say, okay, well, this team has to do this, there, then this team has to do that, and then this other team has to do that. And we've got a nice process map about what needs to be done. We've done our customer journey, great, it's finished. Let's go execute on it now. But that's the wrong approach because, you know, the customer doesn't see you as a support, uh, a sales team, um, or, you know, a bunch of different teams in your company. They see you as your company, right? And, and to them, it doesn't really matter to, to, most, to, to, to a large extent who does it. It matters that it gets done and they see value as soon as possible because of their apprehensive state. So I think, firstly, under-focusing on the how of onboarding. Uh, and over-focusing on the what is, is, is I think, the first uh, challenge. You know, if you have this beautifully orchestrated uh, process document of each step that we need to go through, but the customer experiences that onboarding process in, you know, Google Drive links and PDF attachments and, yeah. um, and you know, Gantt charts and spreadsheets, uh, the way they're experiencing that process is nothing like the customer journey. Um, uh, we're not on video, so that there's air quotes around that, right? <laughs> um, feel like uh, Doctor Evil. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, that's all you're all you're doing is you're executing an internal process document, right? I don't think you could call that a journey for the customer. So focusing on the how, and 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 also you can, and I think the the real. Um, opportunity there is to show the customer during and after the onboarding. I know we like to send onboarding surveys, but actually show them this customer journey that you've built and, and have them adjudicate you, right? The customer journey is meant to um, deliver, you know, is meant to take the customer through an onboarding process. And I don't think that, I think a lot of companies kind of keep it as this separate internal process document, but show it to the customer and say, hey, this is what we aspire to deliver for you. Did we do it? And where did you feel maybe uh, we could have done better? I think that's a lot better than a one out of five rating on onboarding that they get from some anonymous survey email, which again, the survey is the what, but how they experience that feedback loop is the how, right? Okay. So for the second piece, let's talk about the overlap. Um, I think there's a real, a real missed opportunity to, um, you know, you look at, you know, previously having run sales teams as well, you look at the, the time that you sit in the 70% to 100% stage of opportunity, right? It's just sat there, you know, random emails going out saying, hey, when can I expect this to close? It's my end of quarter. Please, can you sign this tomorrow? Okay, that's happening on the sales level to get the deal closed. But, but if we're doing an appropriate overlap from selection and uh, onboarding, the customer success manager should be, uh, or the, the onboarding team uh, should be driving that customer to get their documentation ready right now, right away. This classic presumptive close a, is going to help the deal close faster, but B, it's going to get the customer ready and use this quote-unquote dead time to show faster time to value. And, you know, you think about that emotional state of the customer, they're apprehensive to sign this big check. If onboarding's already started, or at least we've got our customer getting their ducks in a row, they already start to feel reassured before they've even signed the deal because they know that what we've promised theoretically is starting to happen already. Right. And I think there's a real missed opportunity there to, to get those teams uh, engaged because the worst thing we can do, there's two cardinal sins. The first one you mentioned. So what did you tell our sales team? What do you want us to deliver? Right. The second cardinal sin is so glad you're a customer, but we now need to wait three weeks for our implementation consultant resources to be available to start your project. Right. That three week gap, customers remember that for a long time. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I mean, I think, there is a number of things that I kind of pick up from what you've just said. I mean, I think this idea of like, there is a process and it's your process for onboarding, which is great. 
but don't obsess over that. Um, and, and, and doing things inside of your business to, to help people to understand that on a day-to-day basis. And kind of like, so what I mean by that, so for example, for us, we brought out, we have this product, it helps with customer onboarding. The name of the product that we named it was, was, was onboarding experience, right? Not onboarding process, but onboarding experience, because it was for, for the customer, right? And therefore we want to continually remind ourselves and our clients that it is about an experience that you're delivering. Um, and one of the things that we also learned is that customers really don't care uh, about the things that you've got to do like as a vendor, the tasks that you've got to do. And I, I really don't care what tasks you've got to do. And I just want to understand what do I need to do and when, and whose time am I going to need to book? And how's that time going to be spent? And when's it going to happen? Um, also in a language really that I understand. Um, and, and, you know, I went through this firsthand. I mean, you talk about like kind of Google Docs or Google Sheets. I mean, we, we used to think we were super clever by putting everything into one spreadsheet. This is going back like three, four years now. So we put everything into one spreadsheet. And then we had this almost like minimalist design of like what you needed to fill out in that thing to keep it really simple. And it was kind of like that idiot. The way I described it was like, it was the opposite of the idiot's guide to how to fill out a spreadsheet. It's like no one understood what they were supposed to put in what columns. And so we would always have these like, you know, user lists coming back with the wrong things and the wrong columns. Uh, so, so 100%, I think we as, particularly in software, need to look at ev- everything that we do, our decks, our, our, you know, dare I say, if we do use spreadsheets or Google Sheets, our plans, are they in the customer language? Will the customer understand them? Well, and also let's, let's add to that the juxtaposition of the experience of that customer in the sales phase where we send you know, beautiful case study videos on a, you know, a million dollar website to capture leads. And then the juxtaposition of, uh, uh, oh, we'll get back to in three weeks to start this project. Here's a Word document and a Gantt chart and a spreadsheet for you to fill out or to, to let me email it to you. And then to find the live status of the project, you need to go through seven versions of this document in your inbox. That juxtaposition to me is insane, yeah. right? And, and that's insane just because it's different, but also because the customer uh, expectate the rugs being pulled out from under them at the most critical moment of the process. So one of the other things to, to, to get back to your question around kind of pitfalls or opportunities is, is, is this concept of, you know, yes, we have knowledge, we have support knowledge bases and knowledge, you know, centers and things like that for really the purpose of case deflection. But, you know, this unified customer community or customer portal that customers get access to on day one to store all this documentation to me is also really critical and a complete missed opportunity when it comes to onboarding customers. You know, a lot of organizations, as I say, have support portals, but then that's an afterthought that you get access to after your onboarding experience once you've been handed over to support. Why, you know, are we not running our onboarding through some type of community or portal sitting alongside the support uh, resources, the academy training resources in one place? So I know, you know, I'm only focused on onboarding now, but from day one or day minus 30, if we give you access early to start the process, uh, you know, the uh, available resources that you will have access to when they're relevant. Mm -hmm. So we're contextualizing what the customer should expect in a much easier way for them to access and engage with um, that essentially shows them the map of the rest of their customer journey 
uh, in one platform or portal. Yep. So here's an interesting one. One of our customers is a very large telecommunications company and they, when they, they use Precursive to onboard their, uh, their customers and they invite them into a, a portal as actually a Salesforce community with Precursive inside it and they can see what it is they need to do and when. And the name of this uh, program is Concierge, right? So uh, the, the, for, for those listening, the, the name of the program is Concierge. Um, that was Alex's reminder that he's got a, another call in, in 10 minutes, um, which I think is, is, is like, like think about that as a name, right? Like that, if you, like, that evokes when you go into a lovely hotel and it's like, okay, where are you going to go for dinner tonight, sir or madam, when, when we could go to hotels and go out for dinner? And that sounds tremendous. Uh, and that was on my side. Um, so so no i i I think that there's just as you say it's that emotional piece of like that handover between and and even the fact that i think we're still using the word handover like i like transition and we put that into all of our internal documentation because you've got to get it into our heads as you said you you hit the nail on the head it's one company they don't view you as different teams it's one company um so I, I think just, just to kind of wrap up a couple of points then, um, if you were going to give, I think, some advice to your peers on where to start with all of this stuff around, you know, success and customer experience and customer onboarding, like how, how, do, how do others, like how would you advise others on, on what to prioritize and when? Like, because there's a huge amount that you can do. So how do you actually prioritize what needs to be done? Yeah, I mean, you know, my background's more in the startup and scale-up space, so my answer is probably biased um, mm. in, in that direction. But, you know, I, 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 it sounds so simple, but starting to write it down and map it out is, is probably priority one because all of the after effects from that process um, – you know, are, 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 are so exponentially additive, right? You know, the first thing you're doing by getting a group of your, you know, you're getting your entire company together in a room, the sales team, the services team, the CS team, the product team, they're all there kind of going through a process that makes them think for a second about outside in versus inside out. So immediately they go back to their teams, having thought about how what they're doing connects to what other teams are doing and connects to what the customer needs. Right. So there's a real kind of cultural shift that can start from just getting in a room with a whiteboard and starting to talk about emotional states of customers, the key um, transition points um, and the stakeholders that are involved from both sides. Um, so that's that's a, a huge priority. I would also say, you know, the danger in that is you're always in whiteboarding mode and not in execution mode. So being comfortable that, you know, focusing starting with 20% content and 80% execution and adoption is a, is a healthy ratio in a startup. And, I, and I've seen so many organizations try and build the um, perfect customer journey um, in theoretical world while their individual customers are suffering through a completely disjointed process because we're not ready to start yet. And, and so, so I think there's also, um, you know, start with a skeleton talking about altitude, right? To bring it, to bring it back to our previous conversation, start at 40,000 feet and start and then, and then kind of, I guess, skydive downward um, and get it more detailed in iterative steps because the most important thing you connect to like customer health and churn, for example, is that 
I can look when an account goes green to amber to red, and I can then pull up my customer journey map and say, where in that journey do we need to optimize and do something differently? Where did the customer fall off the desired journey we want to take them on? Okay, it's this little part that I'm going to tweak and optimize to pre pre prevent that from happening in the future. And that's how you really start cooking with gas, so to speak, connecting customer success concepts to onboarding. Um, you know, if these individual uh, areas produce friction, I can then remove that friction the next time. Um, so, so that's where I would uh, begin. Cool. Wonderful. Alex, it's been super great to have you on. Been excited about having you on the show for a while. So thank you ever so much. Final, final thought will be you are a Washington Wizards fan, I believe. Is that uh, Golden State Warriors. So. Golden State Warriors. Okay. So here we're going to go because we had Nick Meta on this show and I made a... Some I'm trying to think back. He's a Steelers fan, so I made yes. an analogy around, you know, part of the reason why, for example, customer onboarding is so important to customer success is it gets you on the front foot rather than being on defense, which the Steelers were famous for. Follow mm. that one if you can. So okay, yeah. here we go. Uh, Golden State Warriors. Is there anything that CS teams can learn from the Golden State Warriors? Put you on the spot. That's a good one. And they were not playing in this uh, COVID shortened season as well. So uh, uh, I will, I will say this, right. The Warriors have so many good shooters and they pass the ball around pretty evenly, right? So there's not one guy they're trying to go to, to score the lion's share of the points. So I would say, um, you know, we can think of this, this customer journey, right. Mm -hmm. As uh, uh, you know, you're passing around the top of the, uh, the arc, right. Passing the ball around and then, any of those people uh, can make their shot, right? So it's about the coordination of the entire uh, individual players so that the Warriors can win the championship because the customer doesn't see the individual players, they see the team. How is that for stretching an analogy to breaking point and beyond, Jonathan? I love it. I love it. We're going to start integrating that into all of these conversations. That's awesome. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Go Dubs. Thanks, John. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Cheers.